This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Today is January the 13th of 2022. My name is John Dunn. I'd like to thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing the Best Friends podcast. We're going to get right into today's episode, which is all about an innovative model, leveraging what is already in neighborhoods through identifying the proximate leaders, the experts that are themselves from those communities. They live there. So who better to define what is needed? It's all about tailoring the programs to the needs of the people and pets and providing much-needed support to pet owners in places that may be for the first time ever getting that support. To learn more, we sat down with Mike Bricker, the Chief Strategy Officer for CARE, Companions and Animals for Reform and Equity. Hey, Mike, it's great to see your face, man. You know, uh, for people that don't know, you used to be a colleague of mine here at Best Friends, and I miss working with you, dude, but, you know, it's just selfish, I suppose, because uh, you've gone on to to great things. Now you're the chief strategy officer at CARE. Yeah, I mean, the, the decision, you know, obviously I didn't take lightly. I mean, I love Best Friends. I loved what I was doing at Best Friends. Um, I was making a move back home to New Jersey, and, uh, you know, I was volunteering for CARE at that time. It was really just uh, two people at CARE, Jen and James, and I was volunteering, and I love the mission, you know, and I think it ties into what I was doing at Best Friends, too, you know. Yeah, at Best Friends, you know, we want to make the country no-kill by 2025. Well, if we brought more people of color into this mission and we did it quickly, we'd get there even quicker. There's always been a gap between animal welfare and really the community and the community that needs our help the most. And I think CARE coming on board, it's one of the groups that I think is going to help bridge that gap. So we had the CEO of CARE, James Evans, on. It's been way too long, uh, one of our earliest episodes. So please tell him that uh, he needs to come back on soon because there's definitely a lot in the DEI world to talk about. But for this episode, let's focus on the CARE centers. What is a CARE center? And how are they going to help us save more lives? Running shelters, you know, I was, I was executive director at a few, a few different shelters, a couple in Texas um, and then one in New Jersey. You know, it's really hard to do what you're doing on a daily basis as a director with all the animals coming into you and then still figuring out a way to get out to the community and really, you know, connect with that whole group. I feel like in animal welfare, we're just reactive. You know, things are just coming at us so quickly. It's hard to really step back and plan and be proactive and figure out how we're going to stop that flood of animals from coming in. And I think that's where care centers fits. So care centers, um, they're not always a physical building. Honestly, most often they're not. It's really centered around people. So figuring out who in the community are the biggest advocates, who in the community is already doing work for people and animals. Um, and figuring out what the, what the true problems are in the community that are causing dogs and cats to, to enter shelters. And then working with those people who are community advocates, who are proximate leaders, and figuring out what they need to make whatever they're doing bigger, better, and more sustainable. And that's what a care center is. So it's, it's different. You know, we have close to 12 uh, care centers across the country, and every single one of those care center partners is completely different. Um, but they're all doing something for their community and the people around them that will help 
animals not enter um, shelters. So they're not all going to do the same thing. You said you're close to 12 operational centers at this point. Uh, maybe just talk about a couple of them. Uh, you know, what are the differences? Why is this center doing this and this one doing that, but others aren't doing other things? Yeah, sure. So I think um, one of the ones that's the most unique is in Minnesota. Her name is Awanuk. Her group is Awasiag, or loved, which means the animals are loved. I am from the Red Lake Nation. I'm of the Eagle Clan. Living in northern Minnesota, it can get really cold. It can sometimes drop to negative 30 degrees. When there's animals outside, they really need something that's going to keep them warm. And one of the ways we do that is we use straw. There's a lot of dogs in the, on the Red Lake Nation, tons. And they call them neighborhood dogs, just like you would think of community cats. They go from house to house. Uh, you know, they eat dinner over this house, breakfast over the other house. So what her group does specifically is works to, you know, works to get those animals warm over the winter. So they build dog houses, they provide straw, and these are two things that are severely needed where she is. We really bring our Anishinaabe teachings and values, um, language and protocols right into the work that we're doing. That's where our hearts are. We wanna connect with our community members. We wanna connect with these animals. Ultimately, it just brings so much harmony with one another. I've been so humbled by seeing the love that my community has for their animals and how impactful we can be when we work together and we acknowledge one another, we have empathy for one another, we listen to one another, and we support one another. But then you go down to Atlanta and we have like Tim Freeman, who's a dog trainer. Straw is not really needed in Georgia. I mean, it gets cold sometimes, but not to the levels it does in Minnesota. So what he's doing, he's a an ex-dog trainer, um, not even ex. He's just stopped doing it uh, professionally, but now he's, he's continuing to do it for his community. And what he's going to do, he's going to start providing free dog training classes in the parks or surrounding his house for people of color and for, for animals that may um, have entered the shelter if they didn't get his training expertise. So he's uh, he's doing dog training and, like I said, free classes. And we have Sterling Davis, who's in Atlanta also. He's uh, the trap king. He's uh, he's helping out cats in Atlanta. So Atlanta, just like most especially warmer states, have a lot of community cats that need help. And, and Sterling's doing his work to help not only Atlanta, but we helped him get his uh, his new RV so he's able to travel. So he's going all over the place uh, spreading the, the TNR message and, uh, and bringing more people that look like him into the movement. Such an interesting model, Mike. You know, I think we're at this time where we have to maximize resources. I just saw another article about inflation and the Fed and, I mean, who knows what's coming, right? And I think maximizing resources has been something in a lot of areas we need to do better. Transport, for example, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have like 10 vans going the same direction at the same time that are half full. So, you know, looking at how we can be more efficient. And I thought the model for this was really interesting. You know, let's look at some data. We'll talk to folks in the neighborhood. We'll find out who's there, what's needed. Uh, and leverage that and really tailoring that center's work to that. But an important detail, I think, is that each center is its own 501c3. Now, if that's like a chapter-based model, like Boys and Girls Clubs or United Way, something like that. But why this approach, Mike, versus all of them just being under the one you know, 501c3 umbrella of CARE. So we want each community to be sustainable, right? We don't want, you know, a big guy like CARE coming in and, and running things our way and doing things our way. And then what if, you know, something changes and we have to move out? Then that community's left where it was when we found it. So we want 
the community, people that are in the community, that love the community, that you know live and breathe this community to be in charge of creating and then figuring out the solutions for the, for the issues that that community faces. I truly feel like that's the way that we're going to fix some of these problems and not just fix them right now, but fix them for the long haul. So yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we definitely could have went that route and made all of these, um, these groups like kind of like little subsidiaries under care, but, but no, I mean, they have agency. They're able to make the changes that they need to make that they know that's right for their community. You know, it's not like a transplant coming in. It's, they're there. They understand their community, the people in their community, and how to make changes. And honestly, they're able to make changes a lot quicker than, you know, somebody coming from the outside in. You know, they are the community. They already have the respect of their community members. So when they go and they ask, you know, hey, what's going on? How can we best help you? How can we best serve you? They're getting answers right away, uh, truthful answers. And the person that is giving them those answers doesn't feel judged or, or anything. It's just, you know, somebody from the community asking how they can, you know, make their situation even better. So, so that's why we kind of modeled, modeled it this way. It's for that sustainability portion to make sure that the changes that are made are the right changes to the changes that the community really wants. And then they're the groups that are going to, you know, keep them going. Uh, I think you said two in Atlanta at this point, Sterling and, and uh, Tim, the dog trainer, if you're not familiar with Atlanta, it is a big city. I actually grew up there, I still have family there, and it's huge. And there are so many different neighborhoods, the Northwest side and the Southwest side, and the, like they're just so different. And a lot of the area, neighborhoods that are predominantly people of color, but also a lot of areas that are, I would say on the lowest of the lowest end of the socioeconomic scale, resource desert, I think doesn't even begin to describe. So we're talking about this huge community with this huge need. You've got two centers. How many could a place like Atlanta have, do you think, as this care center concept continues to grow? I mean, a ton. I mean, I think um, there should be a care center in every neighborhood in Atlanta. But uh, but yeah, we, ha- we have to start off, you know, we started off with people that, that we knew were already doing the work. But it's crazy. You know, once once we started, you know, our work in Atlanta um, and people started talking about what we're doing and who we are, then we just got flooded. So there's so many other people in neighborhoods in Atlanta that I've been talking to that as soon as funding allows, we're going to be able to help them get started as well. But but yeah, I mean, I think it's an infinite number. I mean, there's there's tons of people in those communities and there's a ton of people that love animals that want to do better for animals. They just don't have that connection to the resources to get started. Um, and we want to be that. We want to be that connection to those resources to help them get started. Um, whatever ideas they have, help them make those even larger, um, get organized, get their 501c3, all those things, and get started. But yeah, I mean, I think that number is infinite. I think, I think there's a bunch of people that would love to do something like this. They just don't know that it's actually accessible to them yet. I'm definitely interested in the funding part of it, uh, if you're okay to talk through that, because, you know, each of these being individual 501c3s is the expectation that each center is going to be fundraising and, you know, raising their own revenue. You know, it sounds like some of these uh, are going to be pretty small, so not a lot of overhead, no physical building, but it still takes money to do things, right? Sterling's out there trapping, helping folks trap. That costs money. Traps cost money. Veterinary care. So what is that funding structure? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one, before they get their 501c3, we usually act as the fiscal sponsor. And 
all during this time, we're, we're, we're helping connect them with future funders. So when us as care goes into a meeting with one of our funders or any other funders, we're not just talking about us. We're talking about all of these care centers that, that we're helping to create and sustain. Um, and we're letting them know all the great work that these care centers are doing. And through that, we've already had um, some of our funders and some new funders fund these care centers directly in big ways uh, just by hearing the stories. You know, I think one of the things that care does so well is kind of put a spotlight on some of these these groups and people that they wouldn't have without us. You know, um, we get we get into these these funding meetings, but then we're able to tell the amazing stories about you know, what they're doing at the Neighborhood Center in Camden, what's going on in Minnesota, what's going on in Philly, what's going on in, in Florida and Georgia. So we're able to tell these stories and really connect the funders to people that are doing the work on the ground level. Most often, there's there's always that middleman, right? It's like, you know, you have the big funder, they fund somebody in the middle, and then somebody in the middle disperses the money. But what we, we really want to do is just get it from the funder to the street level. That's the quickest way that they're going to be able to um, make those changes. So that's part of it. But yeah, so when, when we're helping them build these organizations, funding is a huge thing, right? We don't want them to just get funded once or twice. We want that to be a sustainable process. So we're also helping them by incorporating maybe like product ideas. Like we have a couple care centers that are going to be trying to create products to go to into pet stores and things like that so they can make money you know obviously the dog training aspect he's going to do the classes for free but then there's going to be private sessions that are available for a charge um, so he can you know continue to make money one of our other care center partners uh, she's a baker so she's she's making her own dog and cat treats that she's going to take to market so we're not just you know starting like the animal portion of these uh, of these care centers, but really like a holistic business to ensure that the changes they want to make, they're going to be able to continue to make um, definitely through fundraising, but also through, you know, some products. When you mentioned proximate leaders, I'm glad you did because staffing, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but it is a point, Mike, I'm not sure gets enough conversation, which is, you know, when you're doing work in a neighborhood, it's important to hire folks from that neighborhood. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about an animal shelter, a bar, a salon. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just a pretty good rule to follow, I think, uh, you know, whether it's rural or urban communities. You mentioned with the centers, you know, you don't want to go in and say, well, hey, here's our plan for your neighborhood. You know, the awareness we have of the lack of diversity in the field, I think it's bigger than it's ever been. I saw this statistic on uh, the CARE website, 1% of animal welfare leadership are people of color, you know, but CARE, your organization, predominantly people of color, the same for your board, but it's really going a step beyond that. You know, hiring people of color, good. Hiring people from that community, that's much more powerful. Yeah, no, it's not a monolith, you know, just because we have, you know, Puerto Ricans on our on our team you know, a Puerto Rican from Philadelphia and a Puerto Rican from Miami, you know, it's completely different. Um, it, it just depends. You know, our community really makes it who who, who we are generally. And then also the problems and, and the solutions to those problems are going to differ depending on where you are geographically. So we are uh, an organization that is predominantly BIPOC. But yeah, I think you're you're spot on. I mean, I think a lot of the problems that we have and the reason why people of color don't feel like they can go into an animal shelter or a rescue is when they go there, they don't see anybody that looks like them, that talks like them, that's where they're from. So I think that would solve, that alone would solve a lot of these issues that we're seeing. There's a definite disconnect between that municipal shelter that's in that city and the community that they really need to get into and they really need to help. 
and if they did bring more people from those, like target those zip codes or target those neighborhoods and get people from those areas to come in and work with them, even if it's in a you know volunteer space or foster or whatever, they're going to see a huge change and they're going to see a big bump in all the numbers that they want to see, you know, animals staying at home, adoptions, new fosters, new volunteers, whatever. They're going to see a huge, huge increase in all those categories. Mike, I love this. You know, it's not just helping pets, but helping people. We know that opportunities just aren't there equally for all Americans. You know, if I want to go start a business, I go to the SBA, Small Business Administration, I get a loan. You know, I've been lucky to meet a lot of people in my life and travel. And I bet I could pick up the phone and find somebody who'd be willing to mentor me. There's a structure as, quite frankly, a white cisgender male that was built long before I even arrived on planet Earth that I'm able to use and benefit from. But, you know, it's just not the case for a lot of people. No, you're, you're 100% correct. I mean, I think... Like, like you said, I think those layers are starting to get peeled back and I think pe- more people are starting to understand those things. Um, it's a slow moving process, uh, but I think things like injecting, you know, community wisdom into some of these solutions for these problems, I think people are going to start to realize it even quicker. Like the community has the answers, but they just don't have, sometimes they don't have the resources or the connection of those resources to make those ideas a reality. So the more we can do to help them do that, the quicker these problems will start to get solved. And there's so much upside to the bottom line animal welfare mission, right? We all wanna see healthier, treatable animals saved. You know, I saw another mind blowing statistic on your website, which is a 3% increase annually in adoptions from people of color would put 2 million animals into homes, 2 million. So there's this massive untapped market of animal lovers. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account, where you live, the color of your skin. This is a community problem and it will take all of us to fix it. All of us. It does. You know, I mean, you look at any, any team, right? There's positions on every team. If you went out, you know, uh, the Phillies went out, and had all pitchers on the field, they're gonna lose, you know? You need a catcher, a first baseman, a left fielder. You need that diversity of thought and action. Um, It works in every other space, you know? It only makes sense that it would work here in animal welfare too. And once once that data came out, like you said, like 1% of animal welfare leaders are people of color, we gotta fix that, you know? And by fixing that, we are going to see an increase in all the things that we wanna see. And, and like you said, only 3%, if we can raise the amount of people of color that come to adopt by 3%, that's 2 million more animals that are gonna go home. Just that fact alone should have every executive director across the country figuring out how they bring more people of color into their facility. There'll be people listening to this, Mike, and they're gonna say, wow, this is great. You know, I live in, wherever I'm here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I can tell you there is a huge need for things like this here. And that's the case everywhere. So maybe they're already doing this kind of work and they're looking for support or they really just want to get something started, brand new, a care center in their community. So how do they get involved? What can they do? You know, where are you as an organization in terms of of funding this and growing this? You said you're closing in on 12 What's the future looking like? Yeah, definitely. So we're always here to answer questions, field questions, and help that help anybody get started. 
Um, as far as funding and stuff, we actually just got some support, some really big support from one of the large funders. I'm sure this is this is going to you know go out pretty soon. Um, people will see. But uh, but yeah, no, definitely reach out to us. You can reach out to us at any time for anything uh, that you think you know we'd be able to help with, and we'll we'll if we can't help personally, I'll point you in the right direction. So. Definitely. If you are somebody in the community, specifically, you know, a person of color in the community doing work for people and animals and you want to, you know, take this to a bigger way or if you have an idea of how you can help your community, please, please reach out. We'll put that contact info on the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. There'll also be a link to the website in the show notes on your podcast player. So there's this range of approaches with each center. Is there another of the 12 you think that kind of illustrates the, the work you're doing? So I, I mentioned um, Awanook and the Red Lake Nation and how she provides straw and, um, and, and dog houses and things like that. We have uh, another care center that I, we just linked up with in uh, Camden, New Jersey. So I'm right next to Camden, New Jersey. I was born in Camden. Super special place to me. There's a place in Camden that I never heard about that's been around for a hundred years. It's called the Neighborhood Center. So the Neighborhood Center in Camden, like I said, that building's been there for a hundred years. They've been working out of there. They do um, day camps, after school programs, summer camps. They have a community garden and they feed homeless uh, every day from 12 to two. So every single day they provide meals uh, for people that are experiencing homelessness. Um, It's just a truly special place. So, you know, we went and connected with them we wanted to see if there was anything that we could do to help and maybe, you know, while they're giving out people food, they can give out like dog and cat food. So we started uh, a little like pet food pantry there. So they have dog and cat food there all the time. So anybody that comes can get dog and cat food. Um, But I think one of the coolest things was during Thanksgiving. So every year they set up a, they call it a flash grocery store for Thanksgiving and people come in and um, they can get anything they need. For Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner. So canned food, fresh fruit, vegetables, even breakfast items, cereals, and everybody leaves with a turkey. Well, this year uh, we got to partner with them and we provided dog food, cat food, toys, blankets, litter, all that kind of stuff too. So then, um, and that was all given away for free, obviously too. So people were just so happy. And I think we saw like close to 400 different families come in, they got everything for Thanksgiving, but then they also got to leave with everything they needed for their pet at home too. So it's a fully inclusive event now. But uh, yeah, such a special place. And, and, and there's places like this all over. And, and like I said, Camden, I was born there. I live five minutes away. I've never heard of this place, but now so many more people know about it. They just got an influx of funding through the help of some of our funders. They had a basement that was, I mean, it's a hundred years old. So it was very leaky. They got some funding, so they, they now they're able to uh, refinish their basement. They're doing that right now, so nothing in the basement's going to get wet anymore. Um, yeah, it's just I've been able to meet so many really cool people and that are doing amazing things that I didn't know about, and we're trying to show everybody that you know these people are out there doing these things. They just need a little you know connection to resources or or other things like that. So you said it's called the Neighborhood Center, an existing nonprofit that you've then opened a care center in conjunction with them. I mean, is that a partnership? Like, can you help me understand that relationship? So yeah, they're a care center partner. So not every care center partner starts off the same. Some just have an idea and we're helping them build like a whole business. Some are already doing it. Like Sterling was already doing 
all of his things. We just helped him get the RV so that he could make it, you know, kind of national. With the neighborhood center, they were already doing a bunch of things for people, but we're helping them. We're partnering with them to bring the animal aspect into things. So they're a, they're a care center partner as well. And now every Wednesday, they're they're running this pet food pantry. So care centers are going to look completely different from wherever we go. And internally, we have like different levels. Like, you know, this care center is going to take this much time. So that's like the I, we don't have like really le- like that's a level three, you know, then we have care centers like like the neighborhood center that doesn't take a lot of oversight from us. We just help provide them with the, the pet food and then connect them with the people that we get the pet food from so they can keep that sustainable. But then, yeah, the, they're a care center partner, too. And then we just help them as they need and any events that they have you know, we kind of help them with those as well. I know you're saying, hey, there's a possible infinite amount we could have in every community. And I know there are varying levels of involvement, right, in terms of oversight, but this is ambitious stuff, Mike. And, you know, CARE still a newer organization. Uh, I'm really in awe. I'm actually not really sure how you're able to make this work. It's just such uh, an amazing and ambitious effort. You know, um, we're only going to manage what, you know, we have... There's infinite number of possibilities, but we only have an infinite or we only have a set number of uh, of hours and, and money that we can we can give and stuff like that. Um, so so we'll manage it as it comes. And, and I'm always ranking things on priority. So when when somebody comes to us and they're like, hey, we want to open up a care center here or we want to be a care center partner. You know, I kind of put that up against everything else that we have going on. But we're growing. I mean, th- this is just the beginning for care. We have seven employees. Um, so it's, there's not a lot of us, but, but we're con- going to continue to grow. And, and even in the next couple of months, you'll hear about um, new hires. Um, so as the needs growing, we're going to be growing as well. And, and really, this is going to be like a community thing too. So we already have like the care center partners that we have, they work with each other too in separate cohorts and separate groups. So they're helping each other grow without us. And that's really the goal, right? It's like, you know, we come in for the initial, let's get you started. But then we want you to connect with others to keep growing. Because like I said, like that's a sustainable portion. We don't want to be needed. We want to work ourselves out of that. You know, we want to make sure that they have all the information they have. They can always ask us for help and things like that. But we want to keep this popping up all over and then keep connecting them with the other groups that are doing the good work. Because I mean... It's hard for a lot of these groups, you know, I mean, they've been doing some of this work, but they felt almost siloed, especially in animal welfare, you know, like we mentioned multiple times on this, they, they go into shelters and rescues, they don't see people that look like them, but they're doing this work on the outside. So I think just as important as it is for us to help them, you know, with with money and, and, and funding and things like that. I think it's just as important or more important to help them with that connectivity with other groups and people like them that are doing work, even if it's not the same work, it's similar work, and it's in the same sphere, you know, we've seen so much growth from care centers that didn't involve me, that involved two care center partners working together, talking about things and helping each other grow. So it's beautiful, man. I think we're not the kind of group that wants to be that face you know, we don't want to be the face of that change. You know, we want others to be the face of that change. We just want to give them the spark, give them the, you know, whatever they need to get started and grow and blow up. That's what we want to do. Um, but we want them to be, you know, sustainable on their own. Well, that flexibility is uh, such an interesting point. You know, we start nonprofits, we define a mission, and we, we've always done it this sort of way. And it's not that that's not necessarily successful, 
but it's not always where the impact is the biggest. Our communities are changing. The shelter population is changing. You know, maybe we have more big dogs today than we did five years ago or 10 years ago, whatever that is. So, you know, I don't know that enough nonprofits, animal welfare or otherwise, are really doing this sort of strategic approach to say, what are the needs today? Even if that means shifting away a little bit or a lot from what we've done traditionally. So, you know, really looking at how you can impact the problem in the community and save the most lives, right? Which is what this is all about. Man, it's 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 similar to my old job as, an, you know, on the embed team. The thing I would always hear at these animal shelters when I go in and try to make some of these changes, like, well, why are you doing it this way? somebody would always say, well, that's how it's always been done. And I think that's the the phrase that I just, if I could get rid of one phrase, that's probably what it would be. Because I mean, that just stunts all growth. And that's, I, I will never have that mindset. Anybody that we work with um, will never have that mindset. You know, it's not how we've always done it. It's what do we need today? And then what do we need in, in, in you know, a year from now? Keep thinking about what we're going to change into. You know, I think anybody that stays, if there's an organization that's been the same way for X amount of years and hasn't changed, then that that organization's not making change anymore. Um, So it has to be always, always changing because that's the way our, our, that's the way the world works. You know, If, if, if you're not making changes, then you're getting left behind. So yeah, I mean, we have to be on our toes, ready to pivot. You know, one care center, like I said, is doing things completely different than the other and that's okay and that's the way it should be in my opinion. Each community is going to have different things that they have to work on but really the, the, the main goal and the focus is all the same. You know, it's helping people and pets. There's a great team of people who help bring this podcast together each week. They are Tawny Hammond, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn and this is the Best Friends Podcast. <laughs>